Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, for Christ's sake. <laughs> I will stop dying. I, I did stop dying today. And before we go any further, congratulations on that album. Uh, that sounds so good. Oh, man. Thank you. You sent me a nice text. It's oh, weird. That monster is solid, man. All, I, and it's so well produced. I, I, I don't know why I'm so surprised that it's that good. But The great, the mighty <laughs> Pete Weiss in charge. <laughs> well, it certainly shows that it, you guys have, uh, I don't know, man. I've been sitting on that and been asking people to check it out, which is sad because now you can't send somebody to the record store to go buy it. You just go, hey. Go on Apple or Spotify, and you guys will get like one no, hundredth of this, a cent. Yeah, no, I don't care about money. I I, I have this thing. I, I'll send it to you where it tells you, like when you click on it, it tells you what what streaming network you have that you can that you can watch it for free or listen to it for free. Yeah, it's on Spotify. So I'll send it to you. Yeah, and it's on everyone, but some people don't. I use Amazon Music. Some people don't have that. I have Spotify, but I don't know how to use it. It's like, <laughs> you know, I'm an Amazon guy. <laughs> Spotify is fantastic, man. They make me playlists based on what I listen to. So it, right. it has some, it makes some cool playlists for me. Well, it but. was, a, you know, you never know about records. Like when we were making Stormy Weather, which is our other best record, I think people have been taught. Norwood called me to say he thinks it's our best record. And I, and I was like, well, better than Stormy Weather? And he's like, well, haven't listened to Stormy Weather in a long time. But when Stormy Weather came out, I was shocked how much people liked it because it was so chaotic making it. And it was so different than what we sounded like before. It was because of our producer, Mr. Mike Mart, changed the sound of Thelonious Monster. But really, when you're saying I like a record, it's really about the songs, that the songs come through, right? Yeah, but, you know, I also, you know, as you record more, I also have come to respect, respect production and engineering and sounds and all that stuff, especially with all the headphoning we do these days. There's something nice about it. I mean, I, it's just whatever. And no we one's ignoring that. got to get this election that. thing now, over with. Now, Enough of that? his comedy with the microphone. Donald <laughs> Trump, are, you know, is not president in 72 days. And that, so now we can all move on. I just feel like we can now all move on. I think... Trumpers can move on. Republicans that are just holding their nose and voting for him can move on. Obviously, liberals can move on. I'm a conservative Democrat, which there's only... Do you know, Chuck, <laughs> we're talking about conservative Democrats. There used to be, when I was growing up, there were um, liberal Republicans. There were conservative Republicans. That's why the term conservative came about, because there were progressive or liberal Republicans, and then there was moderate Republicans, and then there was conservative Republicans. And my dad was a liberal Republican, but, but as, as like Goldwater and then Nixon came along, they were more conservative Republicans. So there used to be three flavors of each party. There were liberal Democrats. Oh, that must there be were nice. moderate, there were moderate Democrats, and there were conservative Democrats. And so how a lot of America's business got done 
was the conservative Democrat and the liberal Republicans would go to their brothers and sisters in the Senate and Congress and try to get a majority in the middle. But now there's no, there's only, you can only be a liberal Democrat or conservative Republicans and there's no one in the middle anymore. Right? So I, so I'm a, I'm a conservative Democrat and I, I think I, now I can go back about my business because this was such a, such an unhealthy time in our society. So I want to get back to drug addiction and addicts and, and what's going on and trying to survive COVID and what, you know, the real things in life instead of what this idiot tweets every day. And I'm hoping uh, yeah. the media will stop reporting what he tweets because he's uh, 72 days. He is no longer president. Well, we could start ignoring him right now. It'd be wonderful. (laughs) I mean, really, does it really matter? Uh, Even the things where people go, oh, my God, he's going to sue. And it's just like, I don't care. God dang it. Stop. Stop politicizing. It's just so you're right. I'm over it. This is an exhale of all of us, except for like, you know, the the people that are in the cult of him, which I believe that's a small percentage. It's like 20% of the population are in the cult of Trump. And after a year of that big, I don't don't think it's one in five. Yeah. Okay. So say it's one in six after a year of him, not being a superstar rock star president of the United States, they'll get bored with him too. That's what I truly believe. So it's time to move on. It's time to just move on. I don't like Biden all that much, but I don't really care. He won't, he won't make my, he won't, uh, Joe Biden won't make me ashamed to be an American. That's the truth, right? (laughs) That's the truth. He won't, I won't have to explain to my son what grabbing a pussy means. You know what I mean? (laughs) It means petting a cat. He's grabbing him by the neck when you pick him up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on. So, so, anyways, I'm is that just what excited. Told, is that what you told Bug, John? <laughs> no, he didn't. He never asked. I don't know that we had those type of discussions. Oh, that's golden, man. Well, unfortunate in in ways having a child that's developmentally uh, challenged. There are pluses and minuses. That's one of the great big pluses is that. Like it, it was as simple as um, a neighbor of ours, her little girl came down who's a friend of his and she was showing Bug how all the red states are bad states with bad people and all the blue states are good states with good people. Oh my God. And it was just like, no, um, that's, that's not the way it works. And that's how we raise kids to be divided. And Amy talked to the, the mom and, um, and just sort of you know, said, we don't, we don't want them to think good and bad. It's, it's different, different. I was thinking, if it's in Huntington Beach, where I think it is, you should start worrying about your own neighborhoods and who's good and who's bad. There's some the wackos in Huntington Beach, I'm telling just you. The, you know, it's just, it'll never end. But it's just going to go back to some semblance of normalcy, which is what, I, what I'm excited about. Because... Yeah, you know, I'm tired of it. I'm just well, tired of it. It's just going to take people some time to grumble down. They're going to have to grumble down. There's grumble be, down. There's a there's a little bit of pushback and the whole idea of oh yeah, well they were bad for four years, so now we got to tell them. It's just like, dude, if you didn't watch Dave Chappelle on Saturday Night Live, 
the man did such an amazing job of summing it up in his monologue. I, I, I want to see him in office somewhere. Yeah, I was um, thinking that too. I was thinking if Dave Chappelle ran for president, he might win. I'm serious. I, I would vote for him so fast, even if he was a third party. <laughs> Dave Chappelle for president. But anyways, let's move on because now I know two things. That we will have jobs, Chuck, you and I, and by virtue of us having jobs, Mike will have a job. Treatment, the, the, the Affordable Care Act is secure. The Parity Act is secure, right? There's a Supreme Court uh, uh, case tomorrow, but I don't think Roberts has the gusto for in the middle of a Biden presidency about beginning to over turn the Affordable Care Act. And people need to stop referring to it as Obamacare. It's the Affordable, Affordable Care, Care Act. Act. Yes. Exactly. Right? Oh, yeah. Because, because I guarantee you four more years of that nonsense and there would not be health insurance for, you know, working class people. There would not be. And so, thus, it's, an, it's, a, it's a time where we, we have the security of our jobs, the security of our industry, the security to know that people can get treatment, and, and that I'm excited about. That, the, looking at the future, I, you know, I don't, do I want to pay you know, 51% taxes? Not really, but I'll pay it. Knowing that, that our industry is respected, that people with mental health and addiction problems are 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 treated equal to people with diabetes and cancer. I mean, these are important things. And and I've tried to explain it to Trumpers and they don't seem to really care. So I'm just I just feel fortunate that that probably till the day I die. I'm 59, probably live to 80, 81, 82, 83, I don't know, somewhere in there. Probably for the rest of my life, addiction treatment will be a viable thing in America. Because it was under attack for four years. I don't know if people understand that. Right? Yeah, I hope, I hope that a lot of this anger and energy and misplaced focus can come back to where the things we need. To, we actually do have problems to solve. Yeah, we, like, we, like, yeah like, like, like uh, suicide being the leading cause of death for white males between the you know, 36 and 54. Suicide, <laughs> let, me, let me remind you again. Suicide, not diabetes, not cancer, not heart disease. Suicide is the leading cause of death of white males between the ages of 36 and 54. Now, Mike and I have cleared that, but Chuck, you're right square in the middle of that. <laughs> I still think everything's going to be all right. Someone asked me today, they go, why, why are you so optimistic about everything? I was like annoying them because I do groups every morning and I come in the morning and I'm happy and I go, I don't know. And I don't want to figure it out because if I figure it out, maybe it'll go away. But the idea of of waking up and having, I think part of it is just being sober, man. I never forget because I watch people come in all the time. You know, Bob, when you watch people that right. are just fucked out, their life is burned to the ground. They have zero hope. They've See, that never, I know where you're going. That's, that has had little impact on me. I know we're very wired differently. What is yeah. pro, this, the same thing you're describing, though? 
I have so many friends who had more than 10 years sobriety that have died of drug overdoses or are still strung out at 60 years old or are trying to or have, you know, 43 days and they're trying to get sober again. Getting sober again, let me tell you this, almost zero probability of that. Do you know what I mean? If there's a 3% chance opiate addicts get sober and stay sober, there's a 0% chance that if you use after 10 years being an opiate addict that you're ever going to get sober again. I swear to God. Dozens and dozens and dozens of the people I got sober with are no longer sober. They've been struggling trying to get sober for five to eight years. It's, it makes you want to cry for them. I've been over at their houses and, you know, and they know AA backwards and forwards. That's what keeps me sober. What, hap- what has happened to some of my closest friends. It's the most sad, fucked up shit. It's better because the junkies you're talking about, they're like 19, 22 years old. They don't give a fuck. They're young and bulletproof. Try being 60 and strung out, Chuck. After having oh, yeah. fifteen, after having fifteen years of sobriety, you know that was uh, that's where Mike and I, our, our common friend Vern, that's where once he fell out after getting a sizable amount, man, it's just like the idea of in and out and back and forth and turmoil, unhappy, sober, unhappy, loaded, just can't find that peace. And I, th- I think the fact that I don't have to, that I don't struggle with that. It's not a it's not an internal struggle like what you were talking about before. It just stopped being this struggle of just like, this is just, this is where I am and this is how I want to run it, however long I'm on this planet. Right. You know? Well, that I, I believe. And I don't know, I don't know how people get off track. Mike's being awfully quiet. The same, we have the same friends. He knows who I'm talking about. I don't like, want to say anything. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know, I. It, I just, it's got to stay sober myself, Bob. You know, these are tough. No, but, I, but that doesn't have an effect on you and motivate you to realize, like, God, you slip up. You could never come back. You know what I mean? That, that's what I've learned in the last five, ten years. Like, people don't come back, right? Mm-hmm. But I, 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 it's the saddest thing, but it really motivates me. And so anybody that's out there, 8, 10, 12, 14 years sober, you haven't gone to a meeting in a year, you know, you're starting to talk shit about it, you're starting to question whether sober is worth it and all that kind of stuff. It's fucking worth it, dude. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Stop it. <laughs> because if, if it's only worth it because the alternative is so hideous and awful, you should stay sober. You should go to a meeting. You should call your friends. You should say, you know, I remember sitting next to a friend of ours that we've talked about on this show. I won't name his, his name, but I hadn't seen him at meetings. <laughs> Are you going to give us initials or anything? I, I, you know, he's a guitar player. He's a musician. Uh, uh, so I was sitting in the Tropical Cafe. This is probably 15, maybe longer than that, maybe 20 years ago. God, 15 years ago. Um, and I hadn't seen him in a couple of years, right? And he sat, he came in as the meeting was beginning and he, I had room next to me, so I scooted over on the couch and he sat next to me. I didn't know him that well at the time. Since then, we've become pretty good 
friends. But he was shaking his leg and he was so irritable and whatever. And, you know, and you got so much time to think in your own mind because AA is so fucking boring. So I'm sitting there going, oh, my God. <laughs> and by, after about 30 minutes of observing his uncomfortableness, he got up and went to the bathroom two times in like 30 minutes. You know, he just couldn't yeah. sit still. He was vibrating. I, I, I just thought, oh, my God, he's used again. What am I going to say? What, how do I? And he's in a band with a friend of mine. So I thought, should I call that guy? What should I do? I don't know what to do. I'll wait for him to ask me or tell me. I had this whole mind thing, you know, this whole thing in my head that for sure he's loaded. For sure this is day zero. <laughs> right? Day zero. <laughs> and and what i need to do about it and i need to wait for him to ask for help but if he doesn't ask for help i'm gonna force help on him and you know we got to do something and thinking about who i can call and how, how we're gonna do all this and after the meeting i said do you want to go eat and he goes yeah 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 and so he and i went and ate and i go dude do you want to talk about what's up with you and he goes he goes, man, I feel so fucked up. And I was, you know, so then you hear the word fucked up, Chuck, and you're like, uh -oh. okay, here it comes. Yep. Right? Mm -hmm. And he goes, I don't know if you know, but that, that was my first meeting in like two and a half years, three years maybe. And I, God, I couldn't even sit still. And I go, are you still sober? And he goes, yeah, I'm still sober, but I don't feel sober. And I remember that so vividly. He literally was vibrating. Right. So yeah. that's why that maintenance stuff of being around sober people and going to meetings and being a part of it as much as it's boring as shit and it's a headache and it's not worth it. Just right. so you don't feel so uncomfortable like that. You literally couldn't sit in the chair for like more You're really than 17 the meetings, minutes. <laughs> you know, all, I can, all I can think about is a comparison like how the book talks about a lifeboat, you know, and sitting there on a lifeboat going, this lifeboat sucks this lifeboat <laughs> this lifeboat there's no shade on this lifeboat yeah for sure mike you've known me your whole life that if i was on a lifeboat and we had survived the titanic and it was day two and it was hot i would start saying there's no fucking shade on this lifeboat for sure i would for sure i would doesn't mean i'm gonna jump into the water with the sharks i would just be complaining <laughs> and you probably wouldn't like the guy sitting next to you if there was like you know for sure out of two people on the boat you probably wouldn't like nine of them if there was little <laughs> kids on the boat i wouldn't like them but, but that's here now i don't know about you guys i just always say what i think and what i feel and it served me pretty well i think trying to present myself as grateful like i i know chuck is grateful I, i'm telling you people at home I know Chuck is grateful and lives the life that he describes. Mike, on the other hand, <laughs> what's wrong with Mike? To, you like to complain a lot too, Mike Mart. I don't <laughs> ever hear Chuck complain. You'd be complaining like, gee, you, you know what Mike would be saying on that lifeboat, Chuck? When are we going to get there? What, uh, where are we? <laughs> Who's in charge here? Oh, no. <laughs> I'd be uh, complaining that it's too hot and there's too many assholes on the boat. And Mike would be complaining about when we're going to go to, when are we going to get to land? This is, this is what is going on. Who's in charge? I'm starting to think that maybe that's the effect you have on Mike. Because I've known Mike outside of me. <laughs> I'm one motherfucker, man. And he's a happy man. Uh, oh, happy. 
Well, you got your AA persona. My persona never changes. I'm like this with my family. I'm like this at work, and I'm like this in AA. Everybody, and it's not wrong to have different. I think that I'm unhealthy, and it's not right to to always be the same in every given situation. It's gotten me into a lot of trouble, right? But but but, but you know, I feel fake putting these different masks on. Like I'll give you an example. I was a big important. Um, uh, thing that last week, right? And I just, I thought about getting dressed up and I thought, oh, then everyone's going to think, oh, you got dressed up. So then I re- wore my regular shirt. This, inc- in this shirt that I'm wearing right now, I wore to this big important meeting. And well, yeah, uh, you left the house. And, yeah. but here's the thing. Then the guy, the guy I felt comfortable who always wears kind of comfortable clothes and doesn't get dressed up. He was kind of, he was kind of, he, it was an important meeting. <laughs> yeah. So then I just felt like, holy fuck, I blew it. I should have done that. <laughs> and then they even made a comment in the meeting about clothes and the cost of clothes. It's, <laughs> it's hard to explain. And then, How shitty you looked. <laughs> and then the, guy, the guy said, well, obviously that's not so-and-so. I said, I will never need a million dollar a year budget for clothes. No, I won't need that. And uh, it was just so funny that I'm always the same. And then it gets me into trouble. And I feel I was out of sorts in the meeting because I felt like I didn't dress up. I should have dressed a little nicer. I don't, I've been to meetings all over the country and I've never seen where you had to wear a certain thing. Pacific group, it's, it's, it's exaggerated their dress code. The dress code is only for if you're speaking. Oh, okay. like, see, the Pacific group gets a bad rap and God bless Clancy just died last week. And he was one of the nicest men. And, yeah. and, uh, and he was, I, I liked him a lot. Um, I did some work with him and uh, I did. I tell the story about when no, Celebrity no. Rehab was on the air. Celebrity Rehab was on the air. And we're getting all this shit from the Betty Ford Center and AA people are hating me for blowing my anonymity on television and people are cross-sharing at meetings. I was at... <laughs> how about this, Chuck? I'm on television saying, hey, I'm the sober guy. I'm the sober guy, right? I go, yep. I duck into the tropical meeting that I started i fucking started it and it's a 12 and 12 right and it's on the on the 11th tradition (laughs) and then the whole meeting was sharing about like how you shouldn't be on television (laughs) (laughs) and it's a and here's the thing it's one of those um where you pick you know tag participation and oh. nobody picked me. The one guy that had blown his hair and the radio, they were purposely prejudiced <laughs> against me, Chuck, because I should have been able to defend myself. Uh, but, nah. um, but so we're on TV <laughs> and everybody's giving us shit. And, I, and part of the TV show in one of the seasons was I was going to go down to the mission uh, with Tom Sizemore, one of the guys, and, and he was going to volunteer at the mission. Right. And I was thinking like, oh, shit, 
I hope I don't see Clancy. Oh, shit. They're like, holy God. And I'm, I kept, and it's pretty gross out in front of the mission. I kept yeah. standing out by the production thing, not wanting to go into the building because I didn't want to bump into Clancy and have him say, you know, what you're doing is horrible and da, da, da. I thought that's what he would do. He's the head of the Pacific group. He's the director of the LA mission. So I'm really just dreading going to this shoot. And then I stay outside so I don't have to bump into him. I go in, I go in the kitchen, they got all the shots lined up. We do all the stuff we're supposed to do. And then we're almost out of there. And, and these three people come up and go, um, Bob, uh, Clancy would, wants to say hi before you leave, if that's okay. And I'm like, well, I don't know. We got a lot of more shooting to do today because we're going to go around <laughs> in downtown LA. Did you know <laughs> him before that? Yeah, oh. I know. I knew, I know Clancy. Okay. So, but I, you know, and it just acquaintance through Buddy Arnold, right? Okay. I've I've had lunch with Clancy before, so with Buddy Arnold. So I'm like, holy shit! And Clancy was a like a fan of mine. He was he knows I went to so many rehabs, and he was real positive, gave me a lot of uh, real. He was really nice to me. So. They go, oh, no, the production, go, oh, no, we're going to be here for two hours doing B-roll all around the neighborhood. <laughs> and I was uh, like, oh, shit. You dicks. So then I go with these people and go and go let into Clancy's office. And it's just me and this one other guy and Clancy. And um, he he's wanted to talk to me about the TV show. And I, he said, you know, I, I, uh, I wanted to tell you, I know you get a lot of criticism, but I watched the show. It's not AA. It's rehab. And if right. people can't differentiate the difference between rehab and AA, they probably don't know much about AA. And, he, and then he said, so let's have some lunch. And we had lunch. And he was so gracious and so cool to me. I can't, I'll never forget it. And he's, that kind of that gave me the defense when people attacked me. I go, dude, it's about rehab. It's not about AA. Right. Right? Right. And well, uh, he, you know, that's the same thing. People would were given shit about um, any hospitals at all that did any treatment, you know. So he'd probably been around that tree, and he probably felt a kindred spirit to you that you're no, you. It's not like you were selling Alcoholics Anonymous, and you, you I wasn't. Didn't, I don't. I don't remember you going on the show and saying, "A A A A." It was about the. the I think that's. Good for him. On this show, we decided to take kind of the pussy way out that a lot of people do. And I know you can't say pussy, so what would Dave Chappelle say? Wimpy. So um, you can't the take that, that, you know, cop out or that weak way. But we did. We just said the program. We talked about, okay, so you guys are going to go to your, your program tonight or something like that. We never said AA. We never said NA. We used did terms you go into programs. meetings? You didn't go into meetings. With no, the they, no. Just see? Like, it was just like in rehab, like they're going to go right. in the van and they don't want to go in the van. Anytime there was drama, that's what was on television. So, you know, you put nine fucking people in rehab together and half of them don't want to go to the meeting at night. Right. Chuck, isn't that what <laughs> happens? <laughs> no, they say they do until you get a ride for them. Uh, they, <laughs> <laughs> well we had the luxury of, of having uh having rides for them and and so yeah it was just a cool thing so so i you know i'm i'm sad to hear clancy's passing but sure he sure had a long run he had a good life i think he was in his mm -hmm. late 80s 
Like, think I think he was that. 80 when I got sober. I thought, I mean, he was one of those always old guys to me. I don't think I ever saw him as looking anything but old. Yeah, but I think he was old looking when he was in his 40s. You know, there's certain people in their 40s, they look like they're in their 60s. Yeah. And, then in, and then in their 60s, they look like they're in their 80s. And then they just stay looking in their 80s till they die. That's kind of a good thing, right? I might go for that. <laughs> That's a good thing. Look 80 right now and just stay looking like that until you die. But um, but I'm I'm happy this is over. There, there's a uh, they played on the news tonight. They played uh, Gerald Ford's comments after he assumed office from Nixon. Said our long national nightmare is over. And though we have division, and though we and though we have real real different views of how we should move forward this nightmare that we were living is kind of over. And what he was describing was the 18 months of impeachment and, and, and everything of, uh, of Nixon. I just Shit, think we've had, just, we've had four years of impeachment. I know four years of nightmare and it's over now and we'll see what happens. Um, do you know that Nixon won 49 out of 50 States in 1972? No. <laughs> That's crazy. That's nuts, man. That's, That's nuts. An- that's and they an impeached him. That's a wave. That's a red wave right there, people. <laughs> That's a majority. And yet, even with that kind of majority popularity, you can't be dishonorable. You can't be unethical. You can't break the law in 1974. Apparently now you can do whatever you want. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah that seems to be the new way. But, uh, you know, maybe we're rounding the corner. Right? I think we might be. I'm hoping. I'm uh, hoping. My daughter, four years old, voted. You know, she said the greatest. She pushed the button for Chrissy. They let her go in the booth. I, I was kind of shocked. Um, maybe that's voter fraud. Maybe there was some voter fraud in Claremont. Uh-oh. A four-year-old girl push the button I'm to send them. Oh, God. Now we're going to have Bill Barr over here. Write a letter. Uh, um, but she, so when we were walking out and, um, and I, I said, who's going to win, Sid? And she said, Biden. And then uh, she walked a few feet and she said, or the other guy. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty much it. <laughs> In a nutshell, that's it. Yeah. But, <laughs> Um, or, or the other guy. You know, though, speaking of Sydney again, you know, did I, I don't think I told you there was that therapist in Washington who killed her seven-year-old twins and then killed herself. And then she published this, she put this thing up on her site about narcissistic parents. And I don't think you're a narcissist, Bob. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. I'll tell you one thing that happened today. So, um, we're doing spring cleaning or whatever. It's fall cleaning. Every all the seasons are off. Like we're just getting shit out of the house and donating it and whatever, right? Clean out the house. So Chrissy is doing it. Elvis got the Zoom school. I just said, Sid, let's go to the snow. And we went up to Mount Baldy today, just me and Sid, and played around in the snow. Nice. That see, it's that that I'm grateful for. And I know that not taking drugs is what creates the possibilities of that but i don't Mm -hmm. just live in this constant don't take drugs don't take drugs it 
it's this gratitude I have that I have the luxury that I could go to the mountains today with my daughter and go in the snow and have a fun time. There's two reasons for that. One is COVID because I can't go to work. <laughs> to do, which Chappelle talked about like COVID, COVID, COVID's keeping mass murders from killing people. <laughs> it's got all the whiteies. So COVID allowed me the luxury of going to the mountains today and, you know, and having worked hard and gotten to a place in life where I certainly know, I just am grateful for what got built on top of the foundation of sobriety. But I, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's only when my friends relapse or I see them trying to get sober again, do I feel grateful. For, but I feel grateful for being able to go to the snow today with Sid, right? And she wanted, she didn't want to leave. And we were, there was a lot of snow in Mount Baldy. It was like 10 inches. Like I stepped into it and then it was like up to my ankle and then she was getting snow in her boots and she was sitting down in the snow and pulling her boots off and dumping the snow out. And we were freezing cold <laughs> and, and just, you know, frozen my hand. I didn't bring gloves and my hands were frozen. I was like, come on, Sid, we got to go after about an hour. And she's like, no, I don't want to go. And she started running up the, the, through the snow. And I was like, we got to go. We got to go. And then finally I stopped chasing her. I go, well, I'm going to go. And she goes, there you go. She turned, she turned and she goes, what would happen if you left me here? And I said, I don't know what would happen. She goes, I'd keep playing. (laughs) (laughs) That's there. I hate to tell you, that's the type of kid you want to race somehow (laughs) in this fucked up life that I have and this fucked up mind that I have and, and this crazy marriage that I have, we're doing the right thing to create a girl's (laughs) Says, are you going to leave? I'll just keep playing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my head right, went right to freeze to death, get eaten by a wolf <laughs> no, or something. You did. And she's just going to keep playing. I'll just keep playing. And, <laughs> then, and not, like, and not um, cry or you wouldn't leave me or all that insecurity. She was just like, I right, fuck you. I'll just keep playing. <laughs> you'll come back <laughs> you'll come back you need me more than i need you bitch <laughs> so wrong but so beautiful <laughs> that is that i i maybe that's wrong maybe the kids aren't supposed to react to that but that's literally what she said no I like a, <laughs> she's fantastic. i'll just keep playing Huh. Yeah, but that's not unlike, you know, that when they get older that they can berate us because we're safe. She trusts you. You've built trust with her because of your actions. You do what you say you're going to do. You haven't abandoned her. We don't preach fear around here at all. And, well, and, and they watch what you do more than anything. So she knows that you'll be there for her and you wouldn't leave her in a bad place. So, I mean, that it was a fun, a it was a fun interaction. Her. I can tell you that, yeah. but, but you know, and, and we were talking about like, I was used to be like that. And somehow the machine of education and peer pre, peer involvement. So it's just the idea of fear is being taught to him. But uh, Elijah wrote this thing. I'll tell you. So Elijah moved in with me when I had a year sober and in school, Mr. Hastings was his teacher and, and he was a old Tony's monster fan, weirdly enough. So he told me, Hey, I want you to see this thing. I'm sending it home with Elijah. He wrote it in class today. He called me on my cell phone and I said, okay, what is it? Sounds bad. And he goes, no, it's something you need to talk to him about. And 
it was <laughs> what are you what are you most afraid of it was like what are you most proud of what are you most this about like whatever it was like sixth grade fifth grade like yeah what's middle school five six seven or six seven eight usually six seven eight so yeah he was in sixth grade and he Here. what are you most what are you most afraid of and he said my dad to use drugs again that's a pretty ballsy kid to write that yeah right and pretty fucking honest and the teacher was so cool to say you know what you need you need to talk to him about this like and and think about this chuck that was only 18 years ago or 20 years ago right yeah that was think about that i don't don't think there's a lot of teachers doing that these days i really don't Certainly I don't, not in I, LA Unified School District, they're not. No, I, I certainly would like to understand why there isn't that connection. I know that even the difference between, I, I know Elijah and Tristan around the same age, Tristan's 30, you know, and his teachers were more involved in what was right. happening in his life, what was happening. Like they would ask questions like, what's going on at home? Are, are things okay? And it seems like there's this whole, there's like a wall between us and them. And, and I, it, it has changed. It has changed. And so what I think, I was thinking about it. So, so I talked about it and I said, listen, um, I'm going to do everything in my power to make that not happen. And it's the most important priority to me. Like, the most important thing. I love you. I love being a dad. But being sober is the most important thing to me. So I hope you know that. And I think about it every day and I do everything I can to stay sober. That's why I go to meetings. That's why I have this guy, Bill's my sponsor. That's why you see so much people coming and going that are sober. And I listed all the people that were sober. So he knew that they were sober, right? Mm -hmm. Because kids don't know who's coming and going. Right. And why? Yeah. And, and, and so I think it reassured him that like, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm going to do everything I can not to ever take drugs ever again. Right. Because he wasn't at an age where he could understand, Oh, just for today, which I never have believed just for today anyways. But so it wasn't hard for me to not to say, no, for, for I, I'm planning on doing whatever it takes for the rest of my life to not take drugs. And, and it was only because that teacher brought it up. It helped us to have him understand what it was. Right. Mm-hmm. And so what's hard is when, and I've counseled a lot of people who are parents who have had ups and downs and they, they, they're, they go to rehab and their kids are excited and they get out and then they relapse and it goes around and around and around. That's a very painful process. But I think honesty is probably best. You know, and and I've coached some moms as mom of a, a client, a woman client I had had. Um, God, she had a lot of kids, like four kids, and I she had relapsed, and she goes, "What do I tell them?" It's been I'm like a broken record, and blah 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 blah. I said, "You need to tell them that you've screwed up, and you're going to go tomorrow." You know, because addicts will use that. Like, I can't, I don't know what to say. I've said it a million times. Just keep using, really. Mm-hmm. And I say, just tell them you screwed up. And, you know, you're going to make any promises. You're just going to go back and get help again tomorrow. And she did it. Yeah. But that, that's huge. That, that's so big. And Because um, I've got 
like one of the houses right now, there's, there's six people in the house. Yeah. Five of them are returning clients who, who put together a fair amount of time, not a long amount of time, but long enough to be able to get over a year and like go out and do real life and stuff. And I forget the, how hard it was to come back or, well, you know, it's hard. cause it's like the best thing, you know, <laughs> do they have kids? Do they have kids? Some of them? Well, a couple of them do. A couple of them do, right. and that, that makes it even harder because, you know, it's, that, it's exactly what you were just saying, but I, I forget that it's just, it is so much easier to just keep doing what we're doing because it, it goes back to what you said earlier about how, I mean, we, we die when we get back out there because there seems to be absolutely no hope, and hope is the thing that, that hope and present circumstances are what keep me going. My present circumstances, for good or bad, are still way better than they would have been I mean, who would have thought if you were loaded, there's no way you're going to the mountains. There's no way you're taking off to drive to the snow. Uh, I can't even, I can't, I don't think, I don't, if I was loaded, I don't think anybody would ever see me again. I got enough dough to roll until I die pretty much. <laughs> well, you'd probably go to the desert and just be yeah. miserable and loaded like so many people we know are right now. Well, and every, every once yeah. in a while, release, release a half-hearted recording that, that doesn't show what you're capable of. Now, I just think that, because uh, there is a romantic part of me that, um, so I've watched a lot of sober people die. That's another thing I've thought about. What does your last, last chapter look like? And one of the gurus of L.A. sobriety for 30 years ended up going in and out of rehab his last year of his life. He was dying of something else, and he was going in and out of rehab because he was abusing his medicines. And I was just like, holy fuck, I'd rather blow my brains out than end up doing this, right? And I was his counselor, and he didn't want to go to group because he was ashamed. And I was like, then don't be here. You don't need to be here. You know, I, I really believe that he didn't need to be there. It's just all the people that he sponsored and all the people that he was the guru to wanted him in rehab, but he didn't want to be there. Okay, and I just got into meetings. Yeah, he's too proud to admit it. He never admitted it. And then um, another uh, uh, Gloria Scott, the great Gloria Scott, um, she taught us while she was having a hard time coming to grips with death, coming to grips with sobriety, looking back on, on what she, how she lived and what it meant. And it was, it was cathartic and it was educational and it was enlightening and it was sad and it was funny. It was everything. Right. And one of the, one of the things that started happening is she was, she, she had lung cancer and she had this morphine cough syrup and she would just guzzle bottle after bottle of it. And sometimes I'd find her, you know, not breathing or falling out of bed. It was kind of, you know, it wasn't ideal. And then, um, then she, one morning she said like a bunch of friends were coming over and we just, just hang out at her apartment. And she said, let's have a meeting. You know, you know me in meetings, Chuck, not that, <laughs> she said, I that was not them. top They're of my boring. list. Boring as shit. So, <laughs> so, and we waited for like these three people to come over and, and my girlfriend at the time was there. So there was like two of us and 
and then two other guys and a girl and her. And so I start the meeting and I said, uh, somebody want to read how it works? I had somebody read how it works. And then I said, okay, uh, open it up for uh, sharing. And she said, you, you forgot something. And I said, what did I forget? And she said, you forgot to ask if there's any newcomers here. And I said, oh, okay. Not to embarrass you, but to get to know, <laughs> get to you, know better. you better. <laughs> <laughs> Is there anybody in the first 30 days of sobriety? And she raised her hand and she said, I'm Gloria, I'm a junkie. Now, this woman had 28 years of sobriety, but she had been abusing her morphine. Right. And I, we, we, for a couple of years afterwards, talked about that amongst ourselves, the people that were there, and just thought it was, it was uncalled for. And we tried to rationalize that it wasn't, it wasn't, you know, it was just mind blowing that your sponsor, your idol, this person that you love. So what if she's dying and nipping at her morphine cough syrup? But then as years wore on, I realized what she tried to tell us all, that she was human, that if you screw up, you just admit it. It's not a sin. It's not the end of the world, right? right. 28 years doesn't matter. What matters is being in a meeting amongst the people that you love and trust and being honest. I mean, think about that. Yeah. And that's the exact opposite of what the male guru, who was her male counterpart in Los Angeles, he didn't want anybody to know. He wouldn't even admit that he's relapsing. It's medicines for his illness and blah, 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 blah. And I got to see it within three years of each other. Which way you want to go, Bob? Which way you want to go? Hmm. You want to go with truth and righteousness and live by what you've, by what you've believed, or do you want to be a hypocrite and lie and whatever? So I always just think like, if I go, I'm going to go, I'm not going to be going to meetings, sharing. (laughs) (laughs) If If I relapse, the only good thing that would come of it is I don't have to go to meetings anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, the idea that, to die an honest new person or to go out a lion son of a bitch who's, who's more proud of some time, some chip with a freaking number on it. That's, that's an easy decision. Uh, I mean, for you it is, is, but I don't think it, I, I, I don't know that it's that easy a decision for me if I wouldn't have had the experience with both of them. Right. I think, I think, well, you know, you share that and it's just like, well, you know, sitting here, it's easy to say stuff because it's not life, right? We're, it's hypothetical. And who knows what we do in the real situation, but to, to live dishonestly is the opposite of what I've been trying to do. Right. For, but during but this whole the, thing. But within the context of the community, you become so tied to how long it has been since you've done that. That's why I don't take cakes anymore. It's like, it's beyond stupid that I would take a cake just so everybody go, Oh, he's got 25 years of sobriety. And it does not. And the, the argument that people do, and, and I, an argument is, has many sides to it. And everybody gives their opinion that the opinion I had earlier, like when I had 16 years or 17 years was, well, it inspires people uh, that you can get 17, you can be a worthless, you know, junkie like me and you can get 17 years sobriety. I no longer believe that. I think it discourages people. 
I believe that they think I'm better than them, that they think they could never achieve that. So I don't take cakes, right? Hmm. So it's just what you believe. I have talked to thousands of newcomers. They prefer to be a part of a group that has three to five to eight years sobriety. They feel uncomfortable around people with 16 and 20 and 25 years sobriety as their, as their friendship and fellowship. Right. And part of that you'll hear time and time again is the people with 16 and 17 years and 20 years and 25 years are too preachy. They don't like being preached in their ways and they're so set in their ways and they're not open to new ideas and they're not open to listening. You're right. The idea that we have the answer is shut up and listen. is just like, okay, uh, that I didn't want to listen to anybody when I was new. I didn't want to listen to someone with 20 years. I wanted to talk to the guy with 90 days who hopefully had a car and some money. If they, if they told a good story, I liked hearing them, but like, I couldn't relate to them. I liked all the great stories of Cubby and Gloria Scott and all the, all the great speakers and AA Clancy, uh, you know, all the people I saw, I liked their pitches, but I didn't want to hang out with them. I had nothing in common with them. Gloria was like a mother to me. That's different. But like sitting around with Earl Hightower and people like that, I just always felt like, what am I doing here? I don't know these people, <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I, I can tell you, I never wanted a long-term sobriety. I just wanted out of the shit. <laughs> Short term. I just well, wanted- here's what I say. I say there's only three states of being. I can get very existential about AA. And you know the reason why we can talk about AA on a podcast, Chuck? I, I just know. realized it. Because we only need to keep our anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. This is a podcast. <laughs> okay. No. This is not radio. This is not radio. This is a podcast. Oh, goodness. I keep my anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. This is a podcast, ladies you're, and gentlemen. You're, you're, okay. There's three states of being in AA. Three, three ways of be of relating to it you're either entering into it you're fully engaged in it or you are exiting it you are leaving it you are you are starting to now put it in your rear view mirror right it's very hard to stay fully engaged in aa for more than 10 years i i it is virtually impossible right to go to a meeting every day, morning, noon, nights, all you think about, it's all you talk about for more than 10 years. I did it for like eight years, probably seven years. Like literally went to a meeting every day, probably, or, or five a week for seven or eight years. So, and then you just start to go to less and less meetings. And you, so if you're not going to as many meetings, you're not sponsoring as many new people. Now you're just sponsoring the three or four guys that you sponsor. And then one of them, moves to Idaho and so you don't sponsor now you got you got four now you got three and and it just kind of you're on your way out doesn't mean you're on your way to drinking it just means you're not as in, you're not fully engaged in AA anymore and so the system itself feeds people into it there's millions or, or tens of thousands of people every month being fed into the system so they're in the process of 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 coming into AA. The beauty of AA to me is that if they somehow magical through the mystical magicalness of AA 
ask someone who's on their way out to help them, it brings that person leaving back to being fully engaged again. It's happened to me time mm. and time and time again. Mm. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a, yeah. it, like one of my good friends wanted to get sober 10 years ago this December, because he's going to have 10 years on December 1st. Uh, so I was 14 years sober at that time. Fifth, yeah, 14, almost 15 years sober. Him, he wanted to go to a fancy rehab, and I was like, fuck, you don't need to go to rehab, you know, because he was a drinking and coke snorting guy. I was like, go to rehab for what? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I met him at Starbucks. He goes, oh, you know, I, I, he told me what's going on and what had been going on, and I said, well, and he goes, so can you get me into one of those like nicer rehabs because he's a person of means? And I said, no, you don't need to go to rehab for drinking and take, snorting Coke. And he goes, what are you talking about? Just you're the rehab guy. I want to go to rehab. And I said, no, if you really want to get sober, you'll hang out with me every day for 90 days. There you go. That's a sponsor, isn't it? And that's what happened. And, and you know, most of, I've done that a lot of times with guys and they never do it, right? They'll do it for like <laughs> 23 days. And then they're like, oh, my girlfriend has to move a car from her dad's house and whatever. Like, no, 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 dude. <laughs> no, you're not going to move your girlfriend's car at her dad's house instead of go to the meeting with me. No, <laughs> Right. And they always say, well, you know, okay. And, and it always fades away. But this guy didn't. And we hung out every day for a year, probably. Right? Until it was irritating to me. I was like, I didn't want to go to so many meetings. And sometimes right. we did. <laughs> That's why I tell the new guys, you're, you're, you're going to want to sponsor with less time because I really, I'm not going to be soldier. I'm not going to be going to meetings every day. And he started getting me like, hey, have you been to the meeting? There was like on the Sunset Strip, there was a meeting at that English pub. You know where that is? Like by the across from tower records, like a, near book soup. And there's a meeting there every day at noon. He started going there and he's like, dude, you got to come to this meeting. It's amazing. And so then I was like, Oh, and I, you know, I'm living in South Pasadena. And I was like, okay, well, and I went there and I was just, you, I don't know. I didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever go to that meeting? Mike? No. You could hear the people in the bar downstairs and uh, I don't know. It's just, you know, and it was what it was is that's a place for a guy with a year sober to go and have fun at noon with his buddies, not for a guy to drive from South Pasadena who's got, you know, 15 years sobriety to go to that meeting. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't serve me. Right. Yeah. It, 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 <laughs> I, it, what serves me is meetings much closer to my home. No matter how bad. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the, just the whole conversation changes. You, I mean, you guys know that. You sit down and you start hearing the same thing because it's people running the same. Yeah, it reminded me of when I was at uh, uh, and before that. It reminded me, well, it's West Hollywood has its own flavor of AA anyways, right? There's that energy of it. It's, it, was at, it was at Fountain and Fairfax in the 80s. It was at the Drug and Alcohol Center on Santa Monica Boulevard across from the Starwood. 
it, it was it sat third and Gardner, and it was at this meeting up on the Sunset Strip, and I was just like, I don't, I don't, I don't even vibrate at this frequency anymore. I don't know what clubs they're talking about. I don't know what girls they're after. I don't, I don't know the lingo. I don't know the music. I don't know the culture. What the fuck am I doing here? I, honestly. It you doesn't were the mean old it's guy wrong. at the club. Yeah, I'm like <laughs> that's the old what that guy. was. You were the I'm 35 like, year old at the 18 and over club. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that happened to me too. <laughs> so, so right around that same time, Elijah wanted to. You know, he was he was he was very popular musician. He was out and about and a man about town or whatever. And I'd go see his shows, but I didn't go all the places that everyone was going. But so somebody said, Hey, you want to go? Oh, I know what it was. My girlfriend at the time had friends from out of town and they wanted to go to the cool hip places in Hollywood. So she said, we got to take them to the cool hip places in Hollywood. And I was like, I don't even know where the cool hip places in Hollywood are. So I called Mr. Peter Weiss, the great producer of Oh, that monster, Thelonious monster. And he said, Oh, the place you'd want to take people is on Coanga. And I was like, where on Coenca? And he said, right there by the newsstand, there's like star shoes and there's the beauty bar and whatever. And I said, okay. And then I, then I was like, will anybody there let me in? And Mike, uh, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all, it's all people we know. Just go. So I go to this place. I bring the friends from out of town to the beauty bar. It was on Coenca Boulevard. This is in probably, I don't know, 2005 right and it's a friend of mine that's running the door that's in aa and i'm like oh my god and he goes yeah yeah yeah. come on in i'm acting like a big shot i'm like whoa i'm somebody i used to be somebody and now i'm feeling like somebody again right <laughs> and then i'm sitting in the bar and i see elijah now elijah at that time was like 20 probably 19 maybe right he's 19 in 2005 so I know he's in a bar with a fake ID, drinking, you know, whiskey and Cokes with this musician pals. And I just stay in my area. I wave to him. He comes over, says hello. He goes back to his friends, right? For the next hour, Chuck, 40-year-old male after 40-year-old male who were anywhere between, the, between the, the lengths of time of one year and 10 years sobriety kept coming up to me going, you see Elijah's over there getting fucked up. Is he 21? Right? Time and time again, they wanted to fuck with me, telling me my son is drinking alcohol and he's under 21 and what the fuck am I doing? You know, trying to embarrass me or I don't know what it was trying to help me. I don't know. And finally it dawned on me. These are all guys from AA. They're out at a bar at 12 o'clock at night on a weekday night on a weekday night macking on younger girls and what i realized is <laughs> what i realized is my son belongs here because when me and flea and anthony were 19 that's what we were doing on hollywood boulevard yeah, mm -hmm. right but but there was also all these all the old punk rockers that were doing that 20 years ago when they're doing it still yeah. Yeah, and they, they were can't. sober, but they were sober. Uh, shooting fish in a barrel. Not only that, but they can't drink until you leave. They wanted you gone. Oh, oh maybe they were drinking. <laughs> I really think they weren't. And a lot of them have grown up since. 
but but it was really weird. I I it was a, I I felt they were getting Schadenfreude by telling me that Elijah was getting drunk. Like Elijah's nineteen, he's a Hollywood kid, and he's a musician. He's supposed to be here getting drunk. Yeah. You're the one who's not supposed to be here. I'm the one who's not supposed to be here. I got these people from out of town that want to see Hollywood. <laughs> so we're going to sign off. But next week and from here on out, this is the Don't Die podcast. We talk about drugs, recovery, zooping, suicide, uh, music, uh, sex, not very um, much. <laughs> what? Not very much, Bob. You don't talk about sex very much. I'm not a big sex guy, but I That's do like, like Amy it. Dresner sort of vibe. I'm like a. I'm not an Amy Dresner. I'm more. I'm more. No, I like it. I've always liked it. I'm a big fan of it. I just. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan. Big big fan. I was very, I, I'm not a. I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. Like not a fan. Like some of my friends, but um. <clears throat> Everyone's but not, you know, jacking off or, you know, man. I still, Life. I still do it. I still, I still have sex. It's an important part of my Good life. Here. Good to hear. Good for uh, you. Well, let's to that. Let's. <laughs> wow. Wow. Hard to top that. Bob Forrest still has sex. That's our big sense of sex talk there. Very. Yeah, oh, topic. I'll leave you the last thing. I'll leave you the last thing that's just so ridiculous. A friend of mine the other day tells me, Bob, I feel like my life is over. Like, you know that in January I'll be 60. And I was right with him. I'm like, you know, because I love this guy and I want to be his friend. I was like, and in my mind, it's like 60. Yeah, that's fucked up, dude. Yeah, it's really. And I was agreeing with him. His life is kind of over. He's turning 60 in January. And then I drove away. And I was was just realizing. I turned 60 in February. <laughs> I, was, I was right. I was like, yeah, dude, your life is over. You got to start making your end plans right now. <laughs> <laughs> He's only a month older than me. <laughs> All right, next time, you guys. I'm glad it's See? over. Our long national nightmare is over. Good night. Yay. <laughs> Good night. Bye-bye. <laughs>